maximize your sense of aliveness, gain new perspectives on health, your body, and the meaning of life. You can control your physiology and how you feel in your body in this moment. Your life will never be the same. This is the Vitality Podcast with Andrea Page. Welcome, grab a yoga mat, a blanket, and a bolster, and we'll make some space maybe over there, Missy Kay. Uh, we'll be looking at the nervous system. The nervous system itself, are you familiar with it? Does anyone ever feel anxious? Yeah, a bunch of hands on that one. Anyone ever feel like stressed and you find that your breath is being held? Has anyone ever pooped in their pants? They were so scared. We, we talk about poop a lot in these, these conversations. It's just like, never, never. So, <laughs> so when we look at the inner governings or the functioning of the nervous system, this is when we start to get really enriched in terms of our ability to not only control our health and decide what we want to be experiencing in that human moment, but moreover, we're able to perceive what is going on inside of our body. And that's when power comes in, when you're aware of what's going on from a bigger picture perspective. Often we're so tied up in the center of the storm, right? so much in it that we can't see what's really going on. And so on a physical level, on a health level, if we can know certain markers and then see those as red flags saying, hey, like you're stressed, you're anxious, you're nervous, yeah? you're in sympathetic nervous system setting. What would happen if you would calm down? Because if you can get that red flag and you can understand that your nervous system is a little bit wiry, then you can take the power into your hands to decide to restore and relax and change it over. And so today my intention is to take you through a bunch of practices to literally build a toolbox for calming the nervous system so that you can leave here right, with ways to be empowered to help yourself and make these decisions. So we'll go through a trajectory in today's lecture. We'll start with talking about the nervous system itself, right? the anatomy, the physiology. We'll go into then talking about these red flags that I'm discussing in terms of what is it? How do you know that your nervous system is in one setting or another? And then from there, we'll venture into the practices, hopefully for about the last half hour of the lecture. Does that sound good? Does anyone have any questions before we start? So a good little experiential practice class today. Special treat for this rainy, bali evening, afternoon. Um, when we start in talking about the nervous system, we have to decide and really decipher what it is that we're referring to. So the nervous system itself is one of the main physiological systems of the body, other ones being things like the reproductive system or the digestive system, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The nervous system, it's interlinked to all the others because all of these systems are interlinked in themselves. So with that interlinking, I want to just make a disclaimer that I'll be speaking from Western anatomy and physiology, which is not the end-all be-all way to see things, especially when we look at the Eastern arts and we get into something like Chinese medicine where we see a whole network of living meridians in the body which are perhaps overlaid on the nervous system. 
grab a mat and, yeah, you're welcome, and a blanket and a bolster, and we can make some room maybe over here if this is okay. And with this, I don't know if you guys have any study of the Chinese meridians, but through the body, they follow a pathway, and there's been a lot, um, let's say, hypothesized over the years in terms of linking with the Chinese medicinal meridians and the organ meridians with the nervous system at first, and then more recently with the fascial system, with the connective tissue system. And all of them are just hypotheses, because these systems, if it's Chinese medicine or if it's Western scientific anatomy and physiology, they're just different ways to view the world. I tell my students, they're like literally taking up a pair of lenses, putting them on, and viewing the world through those lenses, taking them off, and picking up another pair of lenses. It's the same world that you're viewing, the same human body, the same energetic body. It's just the perspective from which you look. You see that? So with that disclaimer, we will be talking from the Western scientific anatomy and physiology perspective today with those glasses on. Under this premise, with the nervous system as one of our physiological functioning systems, we can understand that it's first parted into the central nervous system, which is the brain and the spinal cord anatomically, right, and all the nerves therein, and then the peripheral nervous system, peripheral meaning outside or on the outskirts of. And that's all the nerves and sense organs all throughout our body. Right? So in these two, we can then have different further divisions. The autonomic nervous system is where we'll be going mostly tonight. The somatic nervous system, which is the other branch, that's your muscles, that's how your muscles work. Yeah, it's the nerves connecting into the muscles that say biceps, contract. And then you look really strong like you went to the gym. Very good, maybe I should say that to him. <laughs> so the somatic nervous system will set aside for your yoga class, which you might go to later on tonight or tomorrow morning. And we'll stick to looking at the autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system is what connects the brain through the spinal cord to all of the different organs, right? and thus the physiological functionings in the body. And it's a little bit like a master command unit inside of our human body. It's split into a few different parts. The autonomic ne nervous system itself is split into what you've likely heard of, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic divisions. Those are also known as the flight or fight response. You've heard that before, right? And then the rest and digest response. And there's a third part of it, which is, of course, of great interest to me. It's called the enteric nervous system. And it's only getting, let's say, more and more interest over the years. But the enteric nervous system is all of the nerves that line the intestinal canal and the digestive tract. So again, these physiological systems are inherently linked. And in fact, in both your small and large intestine combined, you have more nerve endings than a cat has in its brain. Yeah. I just, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I just got a kitty. It showed up at my house and my dog really likes to play with it. So I guess I got a kitty. I don't know. And so that cat, I mean, it seems smart. It's, it's very young. But to think that my, my guts are actually smarter than that little cat, it's pretty crazy. And once we can tap into that power of being able to communicate with it, all of a sudden, we can tune into this wisdom, this knowing, this ability, this perception that our guts have. And you know this, I'm not telling you anything new. Because that phrase, trust your gut, 
gut instinct, butterflies in my stomach, all of that has a physiological underpinning to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So here we are, autonomic nervous system. We're split up into the enteric, which is the entire nervous system throughout the entire digestive canal, focused largely in the small and large intestine. And mind you, that's what many of these nervous systems of the bowel are, like IBS. Have you heard of that one? Irritable bowel syndrome? Yeah. Thankfully, over the past five years, science has declared this to be a disorder, a psychological disorder of the gut, of the intestines. So the problem isn't in the intestines, it's between the ears and the head. And so when we look at statistics, we actually see that the highest rate of IBS is found in academics. Academics, people who, is someone an academic here? Is that why you're laughing? <laughs> but people who are students for a living. Do you remember being a student, if you were? If it was primary school, secondary school, university, whenever it was, you had a paper every week to do, right? You had something turned in, you had people assessing you on that, you had your peers, you had expectations, you had to re research all of the other people's work and then summarize it, right? It's stressful. And then you're gonna sit in a chair all day and not move, right? You can start to understand why someone would be a bit crazy. Right? There would be a bowel syndrome between the ears. And so this is very common. And IBS is marked by the jumping back and forth from constipation to diarrhea and back and forth. And it's the nerve endings kind of firing unexpectedly whenever they want. And so maybe you've felt this in your life. Right? We don't have to diagnose anything. It's actually, I find, very unhelpful to diagnose something like IBS. Right? Let's just take a deep breath, maybe go to the second half of this lecture that I'm about to give, calm our nervous system, and realize that something deeper is going on. So if we were to summarize those red flags, one of them would be your bowels go a little bit crazy. And you have unexpected diarrhea. Mm -hmm. All right, so enteric nervous system aside, right, the nervous system of the gastrointestinal canal, will focus primarily on the sympathetic and the parasympathetic settings of the nervous system. And these two, it's not this black and white because nothing's that black and white, but I like to present it that way so that you get a simplified understanding of it at the get-go. And so if we could imagine these two settings of the nervous system, they're a little bit like a light switch on, off, on, off. Can a light be both on and off at the same time? Anyone? I operate 80s light shows. <laughs> that's close. No, it can't. Right? It's on or it's off. And so more often than not, that's how our autonomic nervous system works. We're either more active in the sympathetic branch or we're more active with the parasympathetic nervous system. Now, if I had to make you choose between the flight or fight response or the rest and digest response, what would you choose? How do you want to hang out? I mean, it's, it's your choice. Any, yeah, do you say flight or fight? Yeah, she's just like, I want to fight. All right, got some Aries energy here, I love it. Okay, so that's, it's, it's up to you. And at every point in the day, you'll likely have a different answer for that question. Hmm? The flight or fight response tends to get a bad rep because that's what we walk around in today. Humans in the 21st century are overly active in the sympathetic nervous system. Why is that? Look at the world we live in. It's not only stress externally, internally, stress by sirens, 
we're on the street, stressed by our mother's phone calls, stressed by all of the social media, stressed by all of the billboards that say you are not enough, buy this product, right? It's, it's stress wherever we look, the expectations that we have, the detachment, and this is really the root of it, the detachment from any rooted source of how to live as a human being on this planet. Because let's face it, if the electric went out tomorrow, and there were no more refrigerators, and there were no more deliveries to the grocery store, and the ATM machine or credit card machine didn't work, what would you do? Would you be able to take care of yourself? Do you know how to grow your own food? Or are you skilled and trusting of your own body to fast for long periods of time? You can listen to my other podcasts for that if you want to <laughs> learn more about fasting. But in general, the reality is for most people on this planet today, they wouldn't know what to do because we simply don't support ourselves in that way. And so that inherent primary unrootedness that we experience also sets off our nervous system to quite a big degree. So that, that's fundamental stuff. If we can come to the common understanding at this point in the lecture that, yes, we are stressed today like never before. Yes, our sympathetic nervous systems are more active, perhaps, than they've ever been before. Because in evolutionary times, we would just, you know, hang out and chill in the tropical fruit forest around the equator, enjoy some sun, do our thing, maybe forage for some plants, reproduce, right, have fun. Every now and then, yes, a threat would come. Every now and then, yes, there would be a drought or there would be some kind of natural disaster where we would have to engage the sympathetic nervous system to make our way. But for the most part, we were much calmer and relaxed than we are today. I just came back. I was in, thankfully, uh, this past week. I went to Flores. Um, and Flores is tremendous. I highly recommend it if any of you are traveling around. We went off-road. It's two islands over. So after Lombok, after... East Flor uh, West Flores is East Flores, and that's where I was. And uh, it's where the Komodo dragons are. I saw them. I was hanging out with them last week. You can check out my Instagram page, at Live for Vitality. See a video coming right at me. Uh, and it was tremendously amazing. Yeah, just two, three days ago, I was at a crater lake. Right? So it's a volcanic crater that's filled in with beautiful, fresh, mineral-dense lake water. And because it's a crater, there's echoes there. But then there was no one. There were no people. There was a hot spring next door, so we were jumping back and forth, cold pool, hot pool. <laughs> and it was so loud, I kid you not, I could even play it for you. It was so quiet, I mean, that we were about 50 meters away inside the Crater Lake, and I was taking a video with my phone. And you could hear it like I was right next to the microphone. We don't realize how much noise we have until we can see how much silence there is in parts of this earth. And that's, that's tremendous in and of itself. And so to give a little understanding about the calibration of human nervous systems today, to just how overstimulated we are, to be honest with that, and to implant in our lives times of intentional silence and intentional calmness so that we can flip the switch and no longer be so active in the flight or fight response and rather get more active in the rest and digest response. So there's one more thing I want to say about this flight or fight response before we switch over to talking about the parasympathetic, the rest and digest response. 
And that is that it's also called flight, fight, or freeze. And that today, a lot of research is being done on the sympathetic nervous system to see that it's, it's an evolutionary need, that it's not like it's a bad thing and we never want to have our sympathetic nervous system active. I thank God we have it. It's what gives us orgasms. It's sometimes what makes us poop. You know, it's what makes us survive and be able to thrive in certain environments. Adrenaline pumping, we better get our butt moving. Yeah? It's definitely necessary and it's a huge part of human life, but the reality is that it's almost stuck on. It's like a, a switch that won't switch back. People don't, don't know how to relax today. And I, I, I mean, I know this firsthand from being able to teach yoga for more than a decade. In yoga, especially styles like restorative yoga, or even just any class at the end, when people are lying down in Shavasana, and you see them moving, right, twitching, and like opening their eyes and looking around, you better bet that their nervous system is switched on to sympathetic still, that they haven't been able, or perhaps allowed themselves, trusted enough to have the courage to just close their eyes and stay in stillness. That's what Shavasana is, it's corpse pose. Last time I saw a corpse, it wasn't moving. And so that stillness is so integral to the silence. They're like best friends, two identical twins. And so also in restorative yoga, for example, which perhaps we'll see where we go later on in this session, but the, the ability to restore and let go and separate from the body. We are so in this body. And embodiment is a beautiful thing. That's why we have the asana practice. But the other side of that, the other side of the coin, yeah, the yang or the yin to the yang, would be to lift away from the body. And this is the fifth limb of yoga. You know the branches of yoga, there are eight. Asana is the third, the physical posture. There's, that's like one eighth of the bigger yoga paradigm, but it's where everyone gets stuck on a broken record today. It's all about asana. Maybe some pranayama, asana, asana, asana. Maybe some pranayama, asana, 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 asana. You get it? Well, when we go beyond that, the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth limbs of yoga are all different types of meditation, because that's actually what the practice is. The asana itself only exists so we can open the body to sit longer in meditation. And meditation, of course, the parasympathetic nervous system is inherently switched on. And so in Shavasana, what we're supposed to go into is a practice called Pratyahara, the fifth limb. This is translated as external sense withdrawal. It's when we're no longer hearing, no longer smelling, no longer feeling, no longer tasting, no longer, what was the fifth one I missed? <laughs> seeing, of course, we're not seeing. And we're just relaxing. We actually remove from our body, we feel a lift away from this physical body. The kinesthetic awareness of all of you know right now where your left middle finger is. Yeah? Your attention can fully be on your left middle finger. When you're in the state of Pratyahara, you no longer have that connection because you lift it away from the body. And so that's something that I encourage you and anyone listening to this to experiment with, is that practice of pratyahara, that trust to let go, because that's when we get deeper into the parasympathetic nervous system, and we can let go to that extent. And uh, when I lived in India, I used to teach Shavasana workshops. Can you believe that? A whole workshop, whole afternoon, just on Shavasana. <laughs> and so that's a little bit of what we'll be doing today to start to get to know the parasympathetic nervous system better. The parasympathetic nervous system itself, just like the sympathetic has a nickname or a layman term, flight or fight, the parasympathetic nervous system is called the rest and digest 
or the healing relaxation response. It's the setting that we need to be active in for any kind of healing to occur, for any kind of healing, whether that's acute, whether that's emotional, right? whether that's chronic. We have to be relaxed. And this might be something that you have experienced within your own life. If you've ever been crazy stressed out or you just got out of a crazy relationship, a breakup, and it wasn't until you got to leave, leave and just go somewhere else, change your pace, slow down, leave time for reflection, breathe, that you were able to heal. But when we're stuck in that crazy stressed environment, when the sympathetic nervous system is constantly active, we don't have the opportunity. We literally cannot. We are not programmed to heal when we have to fight or fight. That's not the body's priority. Does that make sense? So that's why the parasympathetic nervous system is, is so important, because it not only governs healing, it governs digestion, which most of you are switching on like three to five times a day every day. You guys eat? Do you eat? Some people don't eat. I mean, we're in Ubud. There's lots of breatharians here. But yeah, so for digestion to properly occur, we have to have the parasympathetic nervous system switched on. So there we go. We're launching back into the, the plug into academics, academia, right? They can't relax. They're always mentally crazy, 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 nervous, anxious, and then they eat lunch. But because they're nervous, anxious, sympathetic nervous system, lunch doesn't digest. So it comes out diarrhea. <laughs> you see? It all makes sense. All right. So the parasympathetic nervous system, this relaxation response, is actually something that we can easily access through our own free will, through our own desire, and moreover, through our own practices. So that's what we'll get into today, is some of these practices to switch back on the parasympathetic nervous system. Before we get there, we must talk about the red flags that I mentioned. So these red flags, in terms of how do you know? What is your alert to realize that your sympathetic nervous system is active? Because once you are able to see that red flag floating in the wind or waving in the wind, then you can utilize these practices. Right? So what are the red flags? Well, we talked about one from academics. <laughs> Diarrhea or unnecessary, needless, inexplicable constipation. Any kind of abnormality in the bowels. That could be a big sign that you're a bit stressed. Okay? Other signs that you're a bit stressed. The breath. Everyone take a nice, long, slow breath. Really slow. Really slow. Keep inhaling. And then allow your exhale to be so natural, so slow, you can't even tell you're breathing. I'm exhaling right now, and I can't even tell. And that's something that you can practice always, is slowing down the breath. Because what's the opposite of this? The Right? where we're in a fight, or we're flighting, or we're running. So your breath is a brilliant indicator of the stress in the body. Other indicators are habitual tension in certain parts of the body. So everyone, check your jaw right now. Check if your back teeth, if there's space between them. Often we'll clench the jaw when we're mentally or subconsciously anxious. Other things are, of course, the shoulders. Tension in the shoulders, shoulders up toward the ears. Do what you can to relax your shoulders right now, maybe. Move your head side to side. We're branching over for sure into the tools of what to do once we see the red flags, but just to notice the red flags. And this could manifest as tension in the upper back or tension in the shoulders or even in the lower back. 
Notice if you're jutting out your rib cage, especially as women, a little hyperlordosis in the lower spine. Just relaxing instead of feeling like the need to sit up or be tight or anything like that. Easing into the body. And then check the pelvic floor area. Notice if the pelvic floor muscles, the perineum muscles, and especially also the sphincter muscle around the anus, if it's tight. One of our yogic practices is to actually relax the anus. So give a few breaths down to there. Everyone, we can close our eyes for that one so you can focus. And just try to relax as much as you could. Almost as if you were pooping something coming through the anal canal, expanding the muscles, relaxing them. One of the practices that I do in advanced colon hydrotherapy is a dilation of the sphincter muscle itself. And I have a tool where I gently expand the sphincter and work with the brain and the nervous system connection to allow the sphincter muscle itself to just relax. And when I do that with clients, often the response is <sighs> like the first breath they've ever taken. Sometimes it's uncontrollable giggling, right? Just this bliss, this joy that overcomes them. And we know this. We know that a big one of these red flags is a, a tight sphincter muscle. You've all heard of people called tight ass or someone who's anal retentive. Right, someone who acts like they have a stick shoved up their ass. You've heard this before. Excuse my French. <laughs> there, there's physiological backing to all of this. And so the ability to relax those muscles of the pelvic floor, right, the ability to relax the muscles of the, of the face. So whether that's the lips, we already talked about the jaw. Right? See what would happen if you relaxed your lips. Maybe that would look like a smile. You've heard probably that it actually takes more muscles, it employs more muscles to frown than it does to smile. Also, of course, these muscles behind the eyes, these are the ones that I love to work with in the asana practice because more often than not, how stimulated we are today, our eyes are big and open like this. It's like they're popping out. Well, what would happen if we close them just a little slit to open? You can try this with me if you want. Close your eyes almost all the way where you see blurry. You see blurry and then don't use any muscular engagement to do that. Just allow the eyes to relax. You'll probably see a little clearer then. And then start to create a smile behind the eyes. As if you were smiling through the eyes themselves. Relaxing the muscles of the eyes. This sends a direct message to the nervous system. So checking with all of these muscles, checking that the hands can move, that the fingers aren't tight or tense, that the feet can move, ankles and wrists. Again, the breath is calm. We feel we could poop or pee at any time. We have this inner smile, whether it's in our mouth or behind our eyes. These are the markers of relaxation. So anatomically in the body, we can look at needless muscular tension to be a red flag that we're stressed. Other red flags that we're stressed. Beyond the breath, of course, we have the cardiovascular system. You know, if your heart races, the likelihood is that you've switched on the sympathetic nervous system, the flight or fight stress response. And so check your heartbeat whenever you want. That'll tell you so much about your current state of condition. Everyone could 
benefit from knowing their resting heart rate. It would, you would benefit even further from lowering it over the years, just like slow breath, slow heart rate, lower blood pressure. And with all of these responses, they're showing that a body in parasympathetic nervous system activation is a healthy body. It's relaxed. So when we take all of this into the yogic concept and the yogic context, it gets very interesting. Because the energetics in the system of Ayurveda, which is Indian classical medicine, it's a sister science to yoga, we find that the energies that run through the body also have this yin-yang kind of feel. Right? Just like the Chinese meridians in Ayurveda, we have what are called nadis. And the nadis run through the body like channels or rivers. Nadi means river, river of flowing energy. There are 72,000 of them, which is quite a few more than the 14 main ones in Chinese medicine. 72,000, I can't count that high. They run all through the body, and there are three central ones along the upward-downward channel of the body. There's Shashumna, which is the central canal. It's kind of like our connection to source. And then there are two that run up and down like snakes through the spine, meeting and crossing at each of the chakras, or the spinning wheels of energy, like energetic intersections, highways of all of these nadis. That's what the chakra system is. And so these nadis, these two central ones, are called Ida and Pingala. Right? Ida is the, the feminine, the receptive, the yin. And the Pingala is the more masculine, the active. And so these two run and exit through the nostrils. Right? And so out of our left nostril is more of a chandra, or a moon, a lunar, a calming, a receptive energy. Out of the right nostril, is more of the Surya energy, the sun energy, the solar, the fiery, the active, the young energy. Right? And so when they're exiting through these nostrils, we can understand that what else goes through our nostrils besides energy? Snot. And snot, what else? <laughs> Breath. Breath, there we go. That every 30 minutes or so, our breath is transiting to be more dominant in one or the other nostril. So everyone check yourself right now. Try, kind of suck air in through the nose and see where it comes in more easily. Is it left or right? All right, raise your hand if it's left. And raise your hand if it's right. All right, so we're about split half and half. We could almost check at the end of the lecture to see if it's switched. For me, it's actually left, which is surprising, but with you guys tonight, I'm pretty chill. Normally presenting, I would be more active, and I would be more, more actively engaged, but it's been this beautiful, relaxing, rainy day, so I'm more passive at this current moment. And so you can check in with yourself as a flag. Is the right nostril clearer? Am I overly anxious because I mean again it switches every half hour and it'll also switch if something drastic in your life happens where you need to turn on that stress response right because it is evolutionary it's there to help us if you get that phone call where your stomach drops to the pit of your pelvis and you feel like <gasps> right that's you hear that <gasps> my breath holding the breath you better believe that your breath is going to switch more through the right nostril if not through the mouth 
That's the biggest red flag, is when you're not breathing through the nose anymore, but you're <sighs> panting with trauma through the mouth. You see that? And so these are, again, flags of, of where we are at any point in our day. And so I guess other flags, if you were to pee or poo in your pants, that could be an indicator of either nervous system, uh, excessive sweating, things like this, any kind of shaking, which is a direct response of the nervous system. Yeah, general nervousness, anxiety that you would feel, like we said before, butterflies in the stomach. And not in the way of like your lover just sent you a sexy text message, but in the way of, of oh my God, I'm about to go on stage and I'm so nervous and what if I, what if I, what if I, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Right? And then that traces it back through the enteric nervous system, right, those gut nerve endings to the brain. And in the brain, what do we have? Starts with a TH, ends with a TS. <laughs> Thoughts. <laughs> that could be, I've never done that before. That could have been many, many different words. <laughs> Thighs. <laughs> so thoughts, yes, okay? Thoughts in our head can trigger our nervous system one way or the other. And this is probably the biggest decider of how we are every day, our thoughts. Our thoughts often control our actions. Our thoughts, through our actions, create our norm. And our normal state of being is what controls how we see the world. And how we see the world then is a reflection back onto the thoughts and it becomes this downward spiral or it becomes this upward spiral. And depending on which way we go, if the power is, is up to us, it's, it's in our hands. Are we having gratitude practices? Are we congratulating ourselves? Are we celebrating for no reason at all? Are we surrounding ourselves with other people who are positive and uplifting? Are we finding new things to do and explore our creative life force energy? Do we have time for reflection on this life? Are we spending time with family in that space of unconditional love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? That's the upward spiral. Right, the downward spiral, I don't want to spend too much time talking on because most of us have been in it most of our lives. What if? What if? What if I'm not good enough? What if I don't get that? What if I don't go there? What if he doesn't like me? What if? What if? What if? Oh, am I? And like all of, all of that worry. It's unnecessary. And it all starts here. And the thing is, very little of it is actually real. So much of how we perceive the world is only between our ears. It's not actually how, we, how the world is. Because right? what we see in the world is a direct reflection of everything happening inside of us. And this is the yoga <coughs> concept of maya, or illusion. And that nothing outside of us is real. That it's all a projection of what's going on inside. And so at any point in time, we can start to employ these practices that we're about to go over. We can employ other practices, be it gratitude, be it positive thinking, be it choosing who you surround yourself with, to switch over into that upward spiral. And that upward spiral has a direct correlation to a calming of the parasympathetic nervous system. The downward spiral has a direct reaction or relation to the sympathetic nervous system, the stress response. And guess what? Whichever nervous system we spend more time in will dictate, a la upward health, or downward disease. And so diseases as we see them pathologically 
are only about 2 to 3% genetic. And that means that we might have a weakness and or a tendency. They're much greater of a percentage hereditary. That's what we pass on. It's not the genes. It's the fact that your mother was neurotic and gave you the neuroses. You see that? You're welcome, love. Right? And then from there, it's up to us. Right? The disease otherwise is, is between our ears. It's with our thought patterns. It's with limiting beliefs. It's with old, unhealed traumas. It's with how we choose to see the world, whether it's a conscious choice or a subconscious choice. And so that's why you here in Ubud, right? You're likely aware of this. You're on the path of self-work. That's what the practice of yoga is. It's self-knowledge. And through that self-knowing, we can start to see the programming so we can meta-program it and say, I want to choose that upward spiral. And then as we change how we perceive the world and we change our story of how we see ourselves and how we move through life, everything around us changes and the projections that we create start to reflect back differently. And then once we're on that upward sweep, nothing can survive except for health. Disease simply has no root. And so that does require practices. There are external parameters for that, be it permaculture, be it a, a yoga asana practice, be it a meditation practice, be it a daily morning practice, be it a specific weekly phone call with someone in your life who you just love and they uplift you every single time you talk to them. Do you have someone like that? I hope you do. If you don't, please make it a priority over the next week <laughs> to find one of those. Yeah? And if you call it in, it won't be that hard. They'll come. So whatever those parameters are, is it the next practices that we're about to go over for the next 15 minutes? When we do these, these are the paradigm that includes us in that upward spiral. And it's all in our hands. So health, it's not random. It's a choice we make. What we eat, what we drink, what we think. What we consume at a greater level, whether that's TV or the friend circles we're in. And so it's it's within our reach, and we decide where we're spiraling at all times. Now that we know these flags, these red flags, these warning signs of switching over into that space where healing isn't necessarily available to us, we can empower ourselves to go into the, the parasympathetic, where healing is readily available. And I'll just make a disclaimer at this point that every single human being, and perhaps animal being as well, on Earth today needs healing. All of us deeply need healing. And may I ask for the humility for us to acknowledge that and say, yeah, like I'm not perfect. <laughs> and thank God I'm not. Life would be a lot less fun. <laughs> so with that said, let's go into some ways, some tools on how to heal some tools on how to switch over to the parasympathetic nervous system response. Right? The first one is one that you know, because <laughs> you've probably heard about it your whole life. Oh, calm down, just take 10 deep breaths. Have you heard that? Yeah, 10 deep breaths. It's pretty much all it takes to switch from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So we'll take one for now, just to abbreviate. 
On this deep breath, that word deep will have a different meaning to everyone who hears it. But what it could mean, more or less, is what we call Durga Pranayam, or the three-part yogic breath, a full breath where it's out through the belly, allow the belly to expand, and it's not actually filling with air. What it is is a deeper contraction of the muscle of the diaphragm, pressing down more on the organs and pressing them outward. So diaphragm contracts even more, sucking air into the lower lobes of the lungs. And then it's an outward expansion, front, back, and side to side through the rib cage, through the chest where the lungs are. And then the third part of the yogic breath is a lifting of the collarbones, and even to an extent the shoulder blades, slightly lifting, filling up the tissue in the upper lobes of the lung. The Durga Pranayama exhale, checking that the jaw is relaxed. Pranayama is not something where you're ever supposed to be tense. The body must be relaxed the entire time for it to be pranayama or yogic breathing exercise. We just relax to exhale. So taking 10 of those has magical medicinal benefit upon the body. Tool number one. Tool number two, ways to calm the nervous system. Right, and this is one that I've been employing more and more and more lately, and it's so powerful. Because guess what, all of that chatter in between our ears, that anxiety if you will, it stays there like a ping pong ball. When we can finally give it an outlet and just a place to go. Yeah. And it's one thing if you talk to someone, that can be helpful a little bit, because then you're voicing it and you need to present it. But it's even more helpful if it's literally concretized. And so I lead detox programs all over the world. Right? We detoxify on a physical level. We see a whole lot of shit coming out. We see stuff scraping off the tongue, the upper digestive tract. Right? There's sweat coming, smelly things, et cetera, et cetera. People detoxify on a physical level. Though it's never just physical. Every toxin has within it a stored emotion, a memory. And so when we can tap into this and give an outlet for the detoxification of the mind and the emotions, the work becomes so much more powerful. And so I embrace writing in my retreats. Pen to paper is one of the most powerful ways to detoxify the mind and the emotions. And so what kind of writing is that? Is that like, hi, my name is Sue. No. It, I mean, it can be like a journal if you want, but the writing that I encourage more than any is the one where it's a constant, fluent stream. You do not let the pen lift from the paper. You can lift it between words, but you don't stop. You don't stop. Whatever it is, you just let it go until it's coming from a place beyond the mind. And that's the channeling of the creative life force energy. You just go. You just go. Just go, 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 go. If you're thinking, I don't know what to write, write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. And then something will come. This is an incredible way to switch over into that relaxation response and moreover prevent the anxiety from coming. Make that a daily practice once, twice a day, when you first wake up, before you go to bed, when you're feeling stressed, whenever it is. My next one, tool number three. The fastest way to literally shift your physiology. One, two, three, shift, super powerful within two to three minutes time, 
Viparita Karani, my favorite yoga pose, legs up the wall. Have you done it before? Bum against the wall, head back, shoulders on the floor, legs up the wall. So we can try it at the end if you want. But you'll notice that as the fluids start to drain, right, blood and lymph draining down from the feet and legs where it's often been pooling throughout your entire day as you're standing upright, it drains back down through the lymph nodes in your hips, drains back up through the glands all over the chest, right? Through the lymph nodes there. Drains back to the lymph nodes in the neck. Right? Drains more blood flow to the brain. It gives us a beautiful sense of calming because it's an inversion. However, it's an inversion that's not at all unstable, anxious, or unsteady. It's a grounded inversion where these central parts of our nervous system, right there around the sacrum, the lowest of the vertebrae, we have a sacral plexus of nerves. And that's right there on the earth, grounded in Vibrita Karani. And then the back of the head is also grounded. So it's this beautiful calming along with the benefits of the upside down inversion flow. And that's what produces tremendous shifts. If you can put your arms over your head, you get even more out of it. So try it out. And I encourage this in a busy work day. If you have a crazy busy day, you've never before like been this crazy and you just don't know what to do, the best thing you can do is stop everything. I don't care where you are, if you're on the city streets of London, Paris, or Manhattan, lay down at a building, put a bag over your head so no one steps on you. Not over your head, but behind your head. And put your legs up the sidewall of a building. When someone asks you what you're doing, ask them to join you. Within two minutes, they'll get it. So can you make this a practice? I often prescribe it to clients twice a day for 15 minutes. You'll notice the effect it has. It's actually a cardiovascular strengthener because your heart has to pump the blood all the way up to your feet, much farther distance right, than just up to your head against the force of gravity normally. All right. So I think that was number three. We're up to number three, right? All right. Number four then, using these nervous system centers, which I just started to explain to you, for example, like the sacrum itself. There's also ones not only in the back of the head, which would be correlated to what's called the Bindu Chakra. It's, a, it's another chakra that's not part of our main seven, but it's a very important one on the back of the head right there. That's why uh, anyone from Jews to Muslims to other different kinds of religious sects, they, they cover this part of the head on the back of the head because it's thought to be one of the places where the spirit enters the body. It's a very holy place. Well, that's directly linked into the nervous system. The Hare Krishnas also keep hair there and then shave the rest of the head, you know this? So on the front, the correlating frontal part of that, of course our forehead, gives us direct access to the vagus nerve. Vagus nerve, governing nerve of the body, is the ultimate decider of if we're in sympathetic or parasympathetic. And so sometimes in my yoga classes, when people are in balasana, child's pose, I give them the option to gently rock the head slowly side to side upon the earth. Right? Blood flow to the frontal lobe of the brain. That beautiful, calm, comforting pressure upon the forehead. And then direct stimulatory access to the vagus nerve, inviting us to move from the sympathetic nervous system. If people got a little bit hyper while practicing yoga and it was no longer yoga, it became gymnastics because yoga asana is only with the nervous system calm and the breath calm. We should never be out of breath or beyond our breath in our asana practice or else it's no longer yoga. So right there, there we have it. 
the forehead as a key point. Other key points of nervous system relaxation that we could use with, let's say, weights in restorative yoga would be the eyelids. Have you ever worn an eye bag? If you haven't ever, that's your homework. You can make one. Just get a sock and fill it with rice. Put it over your eyes and you'll notice the calming effect when the entire capsule around the eye can just be covered. And you can do it right now with your hands even. This is one of, so let's do this together. Maybe this will be, what am I up to, number five? All right, number five would be eye palming. So rub your hands together, create some friction, create some heat. This is a way to calm the nervous system. Woo, getting really hot there. Create that heat. Now cover the palms of your hands over the eye sockets. Notice the breath, allow the breath to be slow. And literally imbibe the heat through the palms of the hands, that healing energy, that life force energy. Invite it in. And then open the eyes, eyes fully directly opened, gazing into the darkness of your hands. And then gently, slowly release the hands, come back to the space, notice the difference, perhaps a cooling effect. So eye palming is a practice that you can do all the time. In India, it's used as a, a way to heal any diseases of the eye. So I want to finish number four because I skipped on to number five before finishing number four, which were the specific points of the body which would give us access to relaxation. So we talked about the forehead. There are also ones on the chest, the heart, and so you'll notice that they're correlated to the chakras. Right? But having a weight on the chest or having a hand on the heart can give huge amounts of relaxation. Of course, you can probably guess the next one's the belly, second, third chakra area, below navel, above pubic bone. Another one would be the hip creases. Perhaps you've heard of the psoas muscle, our main hip flexor. In yoga classes, people often say that this, this is a muscle that stores a lot of energy. It stores a lot of sadness and emotion. Well, the reason for that is because that was pretty much the muscle that manned the transition from four legs to two legs and human beings being the only true bipedal animals on earth, the only true two-legged beings on earth. That took a lot of courage for us to stand up. And so as we stood up upon two legs, right, the psoas held within it all of those memories, those challenges. And often, I mean, we're sitting most of the day, right? We're doing more than 3,000 forward folds every day in all of our actions. So the psoas is quite short routinely, all right? All right. Another practice, number six, another practice to completely calm, rest, and restore the nervous system. One of my favorite practices from early last century from a man named Thomas Hanna is called somatics. Perhaps you've practiced somatics. It's a beautiful work through the physical body. It's often laying down. There are a few just sets of exercises that you could do every day for 10 to 15 minutes to reset the length of muscle to a neutral length. Because again, as we talked about, remember the anus, the sphincter muscle, as we talked about shoulders or the jaw being tight, this sympathetic nervous system, the stress response is directly correlated to a habitual tightening of the muscles. Well, in order to turn the parasympathetic nervous system more active and to short circuit that habitual tensing of the muscles, 
we can do this practice of somatics, which is an eccentric contraction followed by a concentric contraction followed by a slow eccentric contraction. You don't have to know what that means, but for anyone listening who, who might have a little bit of an understanding of anatomy, that's resetting the muscle to its original length, thus releasing constant tension or shortening of the muscles. Right? And when you go through the somatics experience, uh, a friend of mine once said, it's like giving, your it's like giving yourself a massage on acid. Right? That's, what he, that's how he describes somatics. Because you get that relaxed through this practice of just allowing the muscles to release. Right? So that's number six. Number seven would be an intentional relaxation experience. So whether that's a restorative yoga class, whether that's a prolonged shavasana, whether that is a bath, warm water, hydrotherapy, that's a huge one. Literally relaxing the cells, allowing the molecules to spread out. Or whether that's a practice like yoga nidra. Yoga nidra, which translates from Sanskrit roughly as psychic sleep. It's said in India that one hour of yoga nidra is equivalent to four hours of sleep. That's pretty good, yeah? Four hours of sleep, boom, boom, boom. We're not, I don't think we're currently offering Yoga Nidra this month at the Yoga Barn, but uh, if you go to my website, www.liveforvitality.com, I have a few different Yoga Nidra tracks on there to download, and I have others on YouTube. Or you can just search on YouTube, Yoga Nidra. And so what you do is you play it, right? Maybe you use the eye bag. Maybe you can put a blanket over your hips and over your belly, over your chest, some bolsters, maybe some weight there. You stay completely still. Remember the stillness. The corpse doesn't move. And then you play the track. And what it is is a body scan through the body. It's literally reprogramming the neurological connection, the nervous system connection from brain to cell. It's said that yoga nidra has, it makes you smarter. <laughs> makes you stronger, even though you're laying there the whole time. The experiments in the early 1900s on yoga nidra were done on little boys playing a track of yoga nidra as they slept so subconsciously, they were hearing it. And after the process of yoga nidra, once they were in that state, which would be equivalent of like the theta brainwave state, they would find that they would play hours of Japanese or Chinese right, language courses, and the little boys would wake up having access to knowing those languages, even though in their waking life, they never learned them. So these are, these are we could call it the power of the subconscious or something like that to understand it, but these are practices which are readily available in our reach, all right? So was I on seven or eight? I think that was eight, no? Seven. Seven, all right, okay, so we'll have three more. So I'm just making these up as I go along. I mean, we're just, all right, so eight then. Eight will be a pranayama exercise, all right? And so pranayama, yogic breathing, is a way to control our nervous system through the nadis, through these canals. Okay, so you remember out of the right and the left, which one was the relaxation one? The left. The left. Yeah, you can check again if you want. Check again to see which nostril is more active. It's still left for me. See if you're just switched. Keep noticing. Test yourself again in a half hour when you're having dinner. All right. But the access to this relaxation portal would be to more or less gently, lovingly force your body to only breathe in and out of the left nostril. And so this is a practice called Chandra Beda. And so to do this, everyone take Vishnu Mudra with me. That's like, it's like a hang tight surfer's symbol <laughs> where your 
ring finger and your pinky finger of the right hand extend and your thumb also extends, so the two peace fingers fold in. And then your palm faces your mouth. And we'll use the ring finger of right hand, or actually we'll use the thumb of right hand to cover the right nostril. Thereby only opening left nostril. And just relax there, breathing in and out through left nostril. This is the exercise called Chandra Beda, and that's it. All we're doing is short-circuiting the nervous system, using the breath, the prana, the life force energy, in and out through left nostril to give us this yin experience. All right, my next one, which is one of my favorites, is vibration, is sound. And so this is perhaps how we'll end the class in just a moment. So I'll have to give you number 10 before we come back to nine. But using vibration. And so whether this is singing, who sings? Does anyone sing? Historically, everyone, everyone close to me in my life knows this about me. I sing when I'm happy. So if you ever hear me singing, that means that I'm relaxed, I'm happy. Yeah? And so that vibration in and of itself also relaxes you. And so perhaps I should sing when I'm unhappy to get happy. <laughs> there you go, you sing in the car. Fantastic. So one of, one of the, let's say, the, the main tenant of my yogic practice is, is Vedic mantra, chanting mantra. Right. So the shortest of all mantras, Aum. You chant that before and after yoga class. Do you notice the relaxation that results? Well, this vibration, it has the effect of creating ripples throughout the body, and those ripples clear out and clean out the nadis, these channels, creating more free flow of energy. So a fantastic way to relax and calm is to get rid of the stagnance, because it's the stagnance, the dirtiness, the toxicity, the held breath, the dehydration. It's that stagnation that causes the downward spiral. As the inner environment is bleak, the outer world will look bleak. Can you see that? And so all of this is related. So chanting sound, movement of vibration through the body in that way is incredibly not only healing on all levels, energetically, physically, etc., but it also has this beautiful effect of calming the nervous system. So we'll have some experiential with that at the end. And I'll give you a number 10 before we go. I would say number 10, fantastic way to calm the nervous system is giving someone a hug. Giving a hug. And not resisting it. Not being there and thinking, oh, is this too long? Am I going to think things about me? Oh my God, can you feel my breasts pressing against his chest? Oh my God, he smells. Or does he smell me? Or what is, what is everyone around us thinking? Or what am I doing? Or why are my butt cheeks clenching? I should relax here in the hug. Look, my shoulders are up towards my ears. I'm not really receiving this hug. Have you... Have you experienced this? I would like you to. Before we leave this room tonight, I'm going to have you hug everyone else, so just accept that. But we see that a hug that's held yeah, for a few several maintained breaths has the effect of releasing the neurotransmitter called oxytocin, the love hormone. Oxytocin, what's secreted when a mother holds its baby during the process of breastfeeding, during the process of lovemaking, and directly after. It's also secreted when we give a hug. And that's able to metabolize the other chemicals in our bloodstream, be them adrenaline or cortisol, these stress hormones. 
And so as oxytocin metabolizes those more disease or downward spiraling hormones, we start to balance things out. And so give more hugs. It really is that simple. And give hugs where you like, just you're there. And you can say it if verbalizing it helps. Like, hey, I'm going to hug you for 15 seconds now, okay? Let's fully relax into this. See what changes. That has such a direct effect upon your nervous system. And all of the other things after that too, cuddling, any kind of physical touch, touch the person next to you right now. We, humans don't get enough touch. If you've ever seen monkeys, they're always in each other's stuff. Right? That touch is healing. And it's so necessary. And it's so important for calming our nervous system. So we're on the metro or the subway and someone sits down next to us and we stay in tight and we don't want to touch them and we, you know, we ignore... Yeah, you've been there. Well, I, you see that. Then you stop breathing and then you're holding your muscles tense. All these red flags are coming up and up and up. What if we just relaxed into it? If you've ever been to a less developed part of the world, and I don't even mean Bali, I mean like maybe up in the mountains, people don't care. They're just all over. It's like, I just met you and I'm going to lean over here and put my head on your shoulder. I don't even know your name. But we're both humans. She's like, yeah. <laughs> I love that you've been next to me the whole time. So this touch, this is a huge, huge part of it. And of course, it takes the willingness. It takes the need to have consent, the agreeance, right? We talked about the fact that we're going to hug for 15 seconds and make a dedicated point to relax. Because if we don't have that conversation, then we're going to have that whole dialogue of muscle tensing and all of that. So touch is number 10. All right, let's lay down. Go ahead, put your head in the center on the blanket and put your legs over the bolster, relaxing the lower back. Allow the eyes to close. If you have a towel or a shirt, you can cover the eyes. Check that the jaws relax. Check that the tongue is relaxed. Make any last movements in the physical body so that you can commit to stillness. Notice the breath lifting, rising and falling in the belly. Create that smile behind the eyes, the looseness in the lips. Allow your body to be heavy into the earth. Stop resisting. Allow yourself to let go. What if you gave everything away? Gave this bag of bones away. Offer it to the earth. There's nothing you need to hold on to right now. Allow even the eyeballs themselves to sink into eye sockets. And join me for another pranayam called Brahmari Pranayam. It's a bee buzzing sound. Through sealed lips, we make the sound mmm. So we're going to do it for several minutes. Keep the eyes closed and just continue and continue and continue. I'll tell you when to stop. You'll know. So you don't have to worry about it. Join in.
gently allow yourself to fall into silence and stillness. We'll add in a bonus number 11 right here with the eyelids closed, turn the eyeballs inward and upward to focus on the point between the eyebrows, Ajna Chakra. Eyeballs gently roll inward and upward, focusing. Start to sense any sensation across the forehead. Keep that smile behind the eyes. And gently notice the sense of calm. From here you could switch over into a yoga nidra soundtrack. Head off to sleep as part of a daily practice. Or simply a rest and rejuvenation. After the vibration and enjoying the nectar in this turiya or the silence following the vibration, we notice something lifting away from the body, that sense of pratyahara, external sense withdrawal. And then begin to deepen the breath whenever you're ready, expand it. Keep eyes closed, slowly wiggling fingers and toes. And gently taking your time, roll over onto the right side and completely relax there. Eyes still closed. The reason we roll to the right side in Yogasana is so that the left nostrils on top Right brain pools with blood. And this communication supports the relaxation through the lunar nostril. We maintain the relaxed state, the ananda or the bliss, as we gently slowly with a heavy, heavy head come up to sit. Keeping the eyes closed if possible, fantastic way to also Calm the nervous system. Take note of how we're feeling. And gently, slowly allow our eyes to open. Soft, soft gaze coming back into the space. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vitality Podcast please click over to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review to spread this work with the world. You have a part in transforming humanity's health. Keep enjoying this free resource and make sure to give back by sharing, subscribing, and checking out all of Andrea's work at liveforvitality.com where you can find links to Instagram and other social media.
Andrea also gives astrology readings, holds online fasting retreats, and teaches detox courses and advanced yoga teacher trainings. So come to liveforvitality.com and let Andrea transform your life now. Now. 